are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with the studio Liz Caraballo. Liz is a vibrational guide, teacher, speaker, and writer. We'll be right back with Liz, but first let's talk about ups and downs. Over the last two months, I've had just major ups and downs with my depression. I don't know why. It's the usual, like, I have no idea, but I just feel down for a couple weeks and don't want to see anybody do anything, go anywhere. Blah. And it's sad because I felt like this whole year, starting in December, I'm like, woo, I'm doing well, everything's going great, and then just bleh. And that's the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. I hate that because it's like, I I don't know what happens when I'm in an up, but I always think maybe I hang out there a little longer <laughs> and it, it doesn't last. It's like a month or so. And there's little ups and downs in that, like that are normal, but then there's like a, so I was in a funky state and didn't feel like I could get out of it. And I, I, just thought maybe I'll go to Mexico and do an artist retreat when I'm done at Pima. And for some reason that was something that lit a fire and I just started making plans and it isn't practical. I should be saving money, not spending money and all of that stuff. But I just thought, you know what, there's a little fire there. And if I don't flame that fire, I might just stay here until the fall and do nothing, you know, do the things I have to do, but but I want to roll into the fall because I'm not going to be working and I'm worried. I'd like to roll into that on at least a medium up. <laughs> so, but we don't have control over this. I, I found an article on health, mentalhealthmatters.com. It's the ups and downs of depression by Jeff Foster. And I'll just read a little bit of this. Yes, we do know that depression is hereditary. Depression can often be found to run throughout the generations of the same family, invading the DNA molecules which make up a particular family's genes. This causes family members to be more susceptible to depression. However, there's another school of thought that says that the real reason we see depression run in families is that it is also environmental and that it all depends on how the children are raised. If they see the effects of depression encroaching on the lives of their family and they see the results, then they learn to deal with life the very same way. Depression is known to run in cycles. You may feel completely fine one day and the next day you may be completely and utterly unable to get yourself out of bed and out of your nightclothes. The dramatic range of emotions are well documented in cases of depression. Many healthcare providers and scientists alike believe that many suffering with depression manifest a chemical imbalance of norepinephrine and serotonin, which are the feel-good transmitters found in the central nervous system and in the brain. These neurotransmitters work to help control feelings of happiness and well-being. When these chemicals get out of whack, they're thought to cause depression. So if you think about it, when these neurotransmitters are out of balance, it only makes sense that the roller coaster ride of depression would result. As these levels of these chemicals rise and fall, there too go the emotions and feelings associated with them. The real question is why do some people experience peaks and valleys in their chemical makeup while others seem to be more stable? 
Again, it begs the question, is it really the environment in which you were raised, or is it truly the ebb and flow of the neurotransmitters that alter feelings causing the dramatic impact of depression? Do you marry your family because that is all you know how to do? Or is the only way you know to respond is that you are genetically and chemically bound to your family and because of that simply have no choice of being impacted by depression? So right now in this minute, I'm at my brother's house. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it's all a combo package of environment and chemistry. I know my chemicals are off and have been since I hit 40. So I think a lot of it's probably hormonal, chemical, whatever, but it's also in my family. It's like mind-body-spirit connection. I don't think you can just take one part out and decide that that's the problem. That's the source. And I don't think you can just put one chemical in and that's the solution. And that's one of the things I've thought of as over the years with the show is there's no one thing and that you can be fine for long periods of time, actually, and then just either a circumstance happens or a chemical gets off and that that's just the ups and downs and that it's fine. I guess that's my lesson with this show is that it is fine to not be fine. It is fine to struggle. It is fine to be up and down and to find whatever tools work for you. Like I'm back up again because I'm going to Mexico and I'm going to the beach and I don't know why that's working, but it is. Maybe I needed some future to look into. So all of you out there struggling, if you're in a down, to just feel like that's okay too. So today we have with us in the studio, Liz Caraballo. Liz is a vibrational guide, teacher, speaker, and writer. Hello, Liz. Welcome to the depression session. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it and I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And you're speaking to us from Mexico. Yes, I am, girl. <laughs> Mexico is calling your ass over here. It's a come on, girl. Let's go. It's time. It's time. Go to Mexico. Hang out. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, I'm in I'm actually in the mountains. I'm in more of the mid southern region. I'm not quite as south as Yucatan. I'm about five hours north of Mexico City, and I'm in this magical little town called Guanajuato. It's actually a national treasure, and it's one of the top tourist locations for locals, for Mexican nationals themselves. Oh, cool. If you, since you're going to be in Carmen, I would suggest you get one of those cheap flights from Cancun and come up here for a couple days. It's a magical little colonial town, and it's known as the town of lovers. And it's tiny, and it's cobblestone. It's over 500 years old. It's adorable. It has an amazing history as well. Tons of arts. There's music and color and just everything is outside at all times. <laughs> There's always <laughs> something going on here. Can I ask what brought you there? Well, I had made a decision a couple years ago. About three years ago, I was gifted a trip to Thailand, which is awesome. And we were there for a month. And I was definitely still struggling with my mental health. I have a combination of PTSD, um, depression, anxiety. I've struggled with addictions, codependent relationships. You know, kind of like, there's always a cadre for most of us. I don't think anyone's really singular in any aspect of it. And we were there for the month of March. It was my 37th or 38th birthday. I don't quite remember. And I was just standing in the middle of this water. It was waist high. There was not a wave. We were on the right side of the island at the right time of year kind of thing. And I just remember going, I'm never going to go back to do that again. I'm not. This is what we got to do. And so it was about, it took about two and a half, I want to say two years. Yeah, that was 2015. We moved in last year at 17. And the path to moving was exploring a couple different places. My business partner and my good friend was already here. 
And so she was calling me. We would talk all the time for business and social stuff. And then she was like, you've got to do it here. Just come out here right away. I'm telling you, I feel it. I know it. She's got amazing intuition. Um, and she knows me so well. It's part of the cornerstone of our work is working from your intuition, your instinct, your connection with God, source, whatever you want to call it, the universe. So I was like, all right. So I was like, we'll just start there. And I had never visited. So I told everybody we were visiting. Some people knew we were moving, but I was like, it was a mixture between the two. I had taken my daughter out of the school system that October. And so we came down here. We landed in Mexico City. We spent a couple days there, went to go see Rita Kittle's house. You know, some of the stuff that you got to do. And we got here at midnight and we couldn't see anything because it's, it's lit, but it's kind of not lit. It's a bowl in the mountain, so you still can't see much of anything. And I didn't see anything. We got in our room and my daughter and I, she was 10. We were jumping up and down. We're like, oh my God. And, uh, we're, and we just like, we never want to leave. We didn't even see anything. And we just felt it within our bodies that this was the right place. And so it was. We traveled a lot. But we have made this our home base. So this is actually our longest stint here. We've been here since November 12th or 15th. And we're leaving in May to go visit family. And then we have a, a long stint in Europe. But it was a friend that brought me here. It was love, a little bit of instinct, a little bit of rebellion. you got to have that if you're going to make some moves. And then we ended up staying because this town is absolutely magical. It is just a whole other world here. I love it. Oh, I love that. I'm taking my students to Oaxaca in the summer as well. So I'm going to go to Mexico, come back to Tucson, yes. and then take my students to Mexico. But I wanted something that was just for me where I'm not doing anything for anybody else. <laughs> and I yeah. can come back with that refreshed, hopefully peaceful place and then take my students to Oaxaca. So Liz, if people were interested in finding out about what you do, what, they, what would they look up online? I have a website online, Vibrational guide.com or you can look me up on Facebook. I'm super active there. It's under Liz L-I-Z Garabayo C-A-R-A-B-A-L-L-O My profile is public so just click friend. We'll be friends or just watch me. Whatever is comfortable for you. I'd love to have you part of my community. So on that note Liz, tell us the story of your depression. Well, as a young child I have a lot of gifts and talents as far as like just Great intuition, kind of feeling things before they happen, knowing stuff beyond my ears, kind of stuff. And um, I grew up in a really religious home and very strict. We were military. We were Pentecostal Baptist, which is a funny combination. But when we went to the Bronx, we were in a Pentecostal church. And when we were in the Midwest, which is the majority of my dad's assignments, we went to largely Baptist churches. So we were like anywhere from quiet hymnals to like the full on 10 piece band dancing and sweating for four hours. So I had this amazing base. But I also think that the structure by which we were living at that time, which did evolve over my lifetime, my parents did go through their own shifts. But at that point, it just wasn't quite right. And so that wasn't really explored or lauded. And I think I got this hint that it wasn't okay. I experienced uh, sexual abuse pretty early in my life through just people that we knew. It wasn't even family or anything super intimate in our lives. And that really changed the course because I didn't share and I didn't tell anybody, you know, until I was much later and I had a whole bunch of different instances. And I think that was one of the places where 
a proclivity or a tendency within my heritage. I'm really glad that you brought some of that stuff up earlier because it speaks into how I see depression, mental illness, mental difference, which is interesting. I've met a lot of people now who are on the forefront, what they call neuro difference. They don't want to label it as I'm this or that. And so there's also a lot of research going into how other cultures treat what we consider depression, where it's not necessarily something that's seen as a literally a depressive element or a marginalizing element. It's really a different way of processing and engaging through life, trying to come through a normal filter. And by normal, I just mean what's common, what's structurally and culturally allowed. And because we don't have a cultural allowance for a difference, it creates something that feels negative and oppressive to the individual. So I really come at this from a different place. The journey to this is definitely since I was five, I'm a very introspective, I'm a thinker, I'm an outside of the box thinker. I've always, I've, I've really questioned a lot of my religious structure from the get go. There was just too many holes in it for my eyes. So I'd be like, how can it be that these people across the world who are doing great acts, but don't have the same names or cultural standards or rituals? How is it that they just go to hell? That seems stupid. What a waste, right? It just didn't make sense to me. I questioned a lot, but I told the line because I was also a very obedient child. I loved a praise. I loved reward through other people's opinions of me. Um, and I was also raised in a Christian standard in a military home. So there's a lot of that construct that really holds a very strong line. So moving into my pre-adolescent stages, Sexuality is very confusing to me. I did not have a good sense of self-esteem. I was a Puerto Rican girl being raised in a largely monogenous kind of situation. Everybody was of a European descent. It was mostly like Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota. So very, very, very much from like a Norwegian place or everybody was tall, skinny, white, and blonde with blue eyes. And I was not. I was curvy. I had dark hair. I have green eyes, but it was really I had curly hair, like just... People would always ask me, they still ask me today, it's like, what are you? I'm like, don't worry, I'm human. <laughs> like, I, I just like to approach it from that end, angle because there's just no need. So at that place, I really started to feel like I was losing ground when I was about 10, 11, 12. Socially, it was just a crapshoot. I try, I would click sometimes and I wouldn't. I was friends with everybody sometimes and sometimes I wasn't. So I couldn't find this footing. And then moving into my teen years, I remember at one point, I just knew that I was drowning. And as I look as an observer to that point, I surrounded myself that was in the same frequency of that. So I could have been listening to anything, but I was like listening to Tori Amos and Anya DeFranco and some of these heavier, more um, dramatic things that kind of strummed my core of feeling lost or alone or misunderstood and all these things. Um, I was very artistic. So through writing and art was really my navigation for the next 15 years, pretty much. So my teenage years, my art teacher, my drama teachers, all those, they really were like, you're really good at this. They all asked me to pick one. And that was just something I ignored. I continued to do all of them. So the drama and the speaking, the public speaking, my mother forced me to do. She was so worried that I would never come out of my shell and never connect with other humans that in South Dakota, you got your license at 14. So she was like, you don't get your car or your license until you do this, until you get five phone numbers, until you start taking these lessons, you know, join this club. And so she would hold my freedom. <laughs> but it was one of the best things that she could have done because even though she was at the beginning of her journey with this, which is something that we've shared together 
she's done a lot of work publicly for this as well. She could see that the trajectory of my future was really, really, really getting acute. It wasn't a broad spectrum by any means. So she, of all people, introduced me to, it started with Jose Silva, which does a lot of work with the mind and controlling the mind and forming the mind, bending reality through the mind. And um, it's much more scientific than the way I just build it, but that's kind of how I saw it as a kid. I, since that point, I never really need to use an alarm because he taught me how to, uh, it was all in books. <laughs> we didn't have iPads or anything. It was back in the 90s. But I remember it was just a crappy little book, and it was just, I just found so much like, what? To see the mind as a controlling board rather than something that I just didn't understand. I was holding the tail of a tiger versus it just changed that. And then she introduced me to the Seth books, which is a really intense series of books that go into this idea of creating your reality. And then from there, I bumped into Wayne Dreyer and the artistic, the artist way. And, you know, I just started, but I was, a, I was only 16 when I started this. So it was really early for me, according to the spectrum of my cohorts, the people around me. And I was also in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a little tiny town that didn't have that at all. That was not on the radar at all. Whatever was playing in New York City when I would go home, that was not on the radio where I was from. You know, it was two different worlds. But I think my mother, just she's a genius, and I think she saw something, and I think she was just experimenting, throwing things at me to be like, how about if I give her more control of her mind? For me, that was a strong beginning. This, this kind of dialogue, though, does tend to rub the, the community of depression and mental illness in a polarizing way. Either they find liberty through this idea or they really find blame and fault where they're like, listen, it's not up to me. I don't get to control how I feel in the morning. This, I am at the tail of the tiger. And when I'm interacting with that, and, in, and I have a large social presence on Facebook and Instagram, I work mainly through social media. So I get a lot of my clients. I work as a, a business coach and a, and a vibrational guide, which is a, someone that says, you're, a, you're emitting this frequency. And it's not based off of your actions. It's really based off of the tone, the emotional content of your being, your words, your actions. And your desire is here. Does it match? If not, what do we do? How do we adjust it? So within this dialogue of saying, yes, this is what I do, I, I always try to tell people, listen, you're looking at me after 25 years of practicing this. So, yeah, I'm way more stable. And I could just whip this out. And I don't bat an eye. I have those in the mental illness spectrum that do not have any control. And I am really careful to be gentle and not to be like, just read this book and you're gonna get it. Just write these affirmations, just do this meditation, just take these kava kava, whatever. My journey was, you know, by the time I was 19, I had already tried twice to commit suicide. I came very close once, I had the whole dark experience. And if it wasn't for a friend that came in and shook me and made me throw up and wake me up and I have like a weak hangover from all the pills and the alcohol I took. I get it. I suffered with suicidal ideations. I had my last experience just a few months before I left. So what I'm doing with my work and what I'm doing with this is, okay, listen, a lot of stuff happens. That's absolutely what's going to happen. And the ups and downs are part of it, but they're also part of people who don't have mental illness. So the ups and downs cannot be the the determining factor or the symptom to say there's something really wrong with me. I just can't keep it together. There's not one person that doesn't experience it. The scope by which we interact with that up and down is the difference. 
For those who deal with mental illness, we might have to take the whole day to address the up and down, and we're going to take a salt bath. We're going to take an, an extra pill, maybe, if that's what you're on. You might have to call your therapist or your coach or your counselor. You might need to take a nap. You might need to change up your diet for a week to see if that can change it up for you. You might need to do a meditation, burn some sage, burn a couple of no pages. When we get into this type, the scope of topic, and within the mental health region, the ups and downs are going to happen. But the difference between maybe us and somebody who doesn't have this construct of the, the way the lens that they take the life in is that we do take more time. We're going to have essential oils and diffusers. Like you can tell when someone is has mental illness that they're okay with, they've faced it up, they're doing because you can walk in their house and there's like sage and dream catchers and all kinds of stuff running around because it's a multifaceted front. Really, to me, the huge difference is that we just don't get to do a quick yoga meditation series and we're like, oh, I feel better, and that lasts until the next Mercury retrograde or whatever the hell it is, right? And I think of it as a blessing because what I've had to do is become so attuned to the nuance of the tiniest imperceptible to somebody else shift that I just jump on board with the pills, with the teas, with the meditations, the extra nap, the changing my schedule, the food, the drinks, the water, the this, the that, the minerals, that so that I can stay in a relatively stable place. So this has been part of my vibrational work because as I've learned over the last 25 years through many, many teachers, many, many books, many, many practices, many, many experiments is that the trick is no matter what your philosophy is, you catch it at the tiniest place. And the tiniest place should be the biggest alarm. Most of us say, tiny place, ah, I can handle it. Yes, you can. However, the trajectory, the momentum of the tiny place is the blessing because then that's when all these things really come into play and you can absolve things. This action of being proactive with your mental awareness, your mental state, your mental condition, of whatever you want to call it, is really the key to living a thriving, exciting life. It's one of the reasons why such a bold action as to plan a trip to Mexico for you was the key. Because you didn't catch it at the little, so you needed to slam it down with something so much bigger, so much brighter. All the tentacles of you, because that's part of this, you are very sensitive and you're highly capable, had to grasp onto everything. So now everybody's busy on one freaking goal. There's a date, there's a condition, there's an idea. So this is how I really try to focus on what depression, what mental illness or difference is. It really is, I just have to do it different. I take the tiniest things and I go bananas on them. I shift, I write, I think, I ask, and I move. And it doesn't mean that something's still slipped through the cracks. That's happened. But then I'm like, I got all week. I'm going to change it up. And I'm going to do what I've got to do to make myself feel better. Thank you so much for your story. You're <laughs> <Just> so welcome. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I There's a bunch of things I want to talk about in there. Two things you said right off the bat immediately were things that are on my mind and heart right now, which are about different cultures dealing differently with mental illness. Last week, I talked about Crazy Wise, which is a film 
the documentary film about mental illness and how in some cultures that would be dealt with. You have voices in your head. Okay, you might be getting messages from the beyond. Let's let's train you to be a shaman. Let's train you to be a healer. Let's train you to be an important member of the community. Not everybody is going to become that healer, but that it isn't immediately like there's something wrong with you. You need to take medication, change that. There's more of an acceptance. Within a culture that only only embraces a masculine, forward-moving, action-based model, there's no room for the reception and the spiritual capacity that we all have. So that automatic difference just alienates you right off the bat. And within a masculine model, anything that's foreign is a threat. Yeah, and I was very fortunate to grow up in a family where my mom was like, you see things, that's fine. Maybe you're seeing something, you know, seeing ghosts or having visions or things like that. Like she was very open to that. And that wasn't a negative, And I never saw it as a negative. And so that gave me a lot of space for that to be normalized and to not bother me. And it's never been a mental illness challenge. It was just like, maybe you see ghosts and that I believe that there are ghosts. And, yeah, and, and her wisdom to not make you question it released you from fighting it, which then prevents the fact that it will torment you. Right. So she created an environment of ease that gave you the ability to accept and move with whatever it is you have. When we create tension with our natural abilities, then we create torment. Exactly. That's the same spectrum with mental illness and or mental difference. I love bringing in the mental difference because I really don't like the term mental illness. I think it's so unfair. And I think it just really sets us up for a lot more dissonance and a gap of tension. So the brilliance of just being like, yeah, baby, you know, my daughter would mention stuff that she could experience. And she's like, and I'm like, yeah, tell me. Okay. Interesting. I love that. Maybe you should write that down and maybe it'll talk to you later. Maybe you'll remember something more about it in the future. Because what is the point of me creating attention with something that came spontaneously from her? My job is not to control and mitigate. My job is to help her to self-regulate and cohesively work within this world as who she is. And then the other thing I connected to right off the bat was talking about sexual abuse, not from personal experience, but at the same event, my my ex-partner, boyfriend, is putting together an event on healing sexual trauma. And having Tarana Burke come, the founder of the Me Too movement, and having a whole bunch of speakers and healers on a positive note of like empowerment. And I really felt that in your story of like, this happened to me. And I want to find empowerment in my life, nonetheless. Because when you look at the statistics, it's one out of four, one out of seven men, you know, it's it's like everybody, so many people that it it can't be something that's just like, you're screwed. You know, this happened to you and now you're screwed. You know, now you have this horrible, ugly, you, you can't get beyond it thing. And this this new cultural wave of like, let's just talk about this. Because when you said you'd never got to tell anyone, like it just, you just couldn't. But there's this underbelly. And I feel like the show's mission is to take the underbelly of depression and just say, there, here it is. This is what I experienced. This is what I experienced. Exactly. Now you're exactly. number 86, 86 stories of like, I have this experience. And to me, that's beautiful. And it's the same thing with sexual trauma. I just feel like that it could just be like this experience happened. Maybe people will heal <laughs> and maybe less of it will happen. Who knows? 
Yeah, I think just like anything, just like a virus in the body or just like your drawers are out of whack, sometimes you need to dump everything out. You literally take all your clothes out of the closet and you have to air some of that stuff out and pick what's going to stay and what's going to not. And I, I know for the fact that the desire of my life was always to teach and educate and I've always wanted to advise those that were at the top of policy. I've always wanted to be a part of those who were teaching others. The spectrum of my experience is what empowers me to speak so deeply. At that point in my life, I don't think I could have understood this. But now I see this string of what people are like, oh my God, that sounds terrible. If I share my story so many times, people are like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Thank you for your love and concern. But had it not been for this, I would not be at this graduate PhD master's level of understanding not only vibration, but my maverick way of dealing with it. That really loosens up a lot of the tension for people. That's one of my gifts is I get on and people relax and I'm like, yeah, and now we're just going to try this. And after a while, it gets, you're just like, wow, this is so much more matter of fact and joyful, even though we're talking about the same scope of stuff. And it's not to demean, it's not to take away from anyone's um, prolonged history of trauma or suffering from something. But what it's to do is, I believe there's a future within you and a message and a power and a delight which has been put through these things. So in order to do, get to there, we've got to neutralize and pivot so that those instances can still stand. Yet now, instead of disempowering, not only are powering, but they're, they're part of your artillery. They're part of your spectrum. They're part of you, and they're no longer something that you're against in your own type of self. So that you're like, yeah, it's not an indication of my failure and my lack of worthiness. It's simply something that I went through, and now I have that to add to this delicious mix of who I am. And that is a perfect note to end the show on. Liz, thanks so much for being on the Depression Session. Thank you so much for having me. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.